the game is now advancing and changing so fast that uh, we have a whole new set of problems. It's, the biggest one is our our QA team went from being like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. To now, oh my God, what do I do? Butterscotch. <laughs> Hey everybody, welcome to episode 360 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam and I look very mat on this new camera. Adam know? or Matt? You Not know? like the person Matt, but like the 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 appearance of like, paint. Like non-glossy? Like non-glossy. Like, and not even eggshell. Like straight up like in matte territory. I'm Sam, and since it's episode 360, I think a no-scope is in order today. It is 360. Firing from the hip. That's right. You know, my favorite internet joke is, do you know why they call it the Xbox 360? Because when you see it, you turn 360 degrees and walk away. <laughs> Which, of course, is troll bait, because then people have to be like, that's not how degrees work. <laughs> Just looking where you started. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today's April 21, 2020 U. And before Ooh. we get started, we have a warning. There's going to be profanity in this show. Uh, and we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, we have you know recurring supporters who are just dunking quarters into our coffee cups, um, yes. which is... Getting a very metallic tasting, but... Uh, drinking money feels good. I feel like it's got to be Builds character. Yeah. 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 Uh, let's talk about Tunic. It's yeah. a video game. I want to hear about it. I don't know anything about it. Well, so I just finished playing Elden Ring, right? Which we talked about. Congratulations. And yes, very good. And it sort of set me on a different kind of game path where I feel like, you know, we talk a lot about loops, the structure of a video game being broken down into these components called loops, which largely are about uh, getting the player onto a track where they can start sensing their own power right? Uh, and kind of building onto that power. And a lot of times, if you fall into a game for, you know, a very long period of time, typically it's got a very strong, uh, obvious loop of some sort where you're leveling up, you know, get 10 experience points, hit next level, now it's 12 experience points, etc. So what's interesting with the experience I had with Elden Ring, and then that I wanted to kind of continue exploring a bit on the design side, is a different approach where uh, the, the quote-unquote loops of the game uh, are mastery ones in the player that come down to how you read the world, Right, so learning how yeah. the world works because it's not actually telling you. Um, we're not being; it's being opaque enough about how it works that you have to kind of fiddle around to figure it out. Much like how the actual world works, um, and so part of the joy of playing games like that is basically the experience of the learning. Right, how cool that is. Mm-hmm. So I picked up uh, Tunic per Jen's request, actually, uh, our narrative designer, and also after watching an Adam Millard, the Architect of Games video, for anybody who's super into design stuff. He does these great breakdowns on things and uh, did one recently on this idea of hidden knowledge in games and brought up this Tunic game, which ends up being, it's sort of, it looks like a really cute sort of a isometric Zelda sort of a thing. It's got a fox character, very adorable. Uh, it's actually hard as shit. So is it like, really new hmm. or is it, uh, is it a recent release? It's a recent release. Yeah. They've been, it's okay. been, they've been talking about it for, I think it's like five years or something okay. around. Finji uh, made it, which is. Uh, oh, it's a Finji game. game. Okay. Yeah. It's a Finji game. Yeah. Um, 
and, and they're, yeah, they publish it. And uh, I think it's been doing well. It's on Game Pass. So I'd highly recommend people checking out if you're into the sort of game that requires you to like pay attention, I guess, as opposed to just sort of get on the loop train. Um, it's, been, it's not an idle game. It's an active game. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's been very fun to explore. And uh, I don't want to spoil too much stuff because it's very much a game where you're like, you just don't know, you don't understand like anything that's happening and you slowly kind of build that understanding. Um, which is really fun. And I did hit a wall though with it uh, after the first night of playing. I played for about two hours and it was hitting this weird point where I couldn't, you know, I couldn't seem to like do anything. Everywhere I went, I just got my ass kicked by new stuff. And then also there was, didn't seem like there was a way for me to actually, again, hit one of those power loops where I could like actually uh, prove myself. And um, I just about quit, which is basically the, this is the sort of problem with these games, right? Is if you hit this point where you're like, I can't, I don't understand how to do more stuff mm-hmm. and I'm over it. But then I went back this morning and ended up getting uh, somehow cracked some nut there and uh, been very engaged since. So it's a, I just, I'll just recommend it, people. I haven't finished yet, but I want to recommend it. Um, it's, a, it's a good time. And I think it's one of those ones that uh, rewards the patience if you got it or if you have a friend to talk to about it, which is what I did, uh, who can be like, ooh, you just got to keep going a little bit more. And then you'll, then it gets real good, you know. Um, it's mm. a good time. Yeah, there's, there's definitely a mindset, I think, that you, you have to be in to really go somewhere with one of these kinds of games. Because the first time I played um, Breath of the Wild, yes. So when I was I was on a 16-hour flight to India. Mm. And it was like hour four. I had watched two movies already. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, time to do something else. But I was so tired. Yeah, those flights, <laughs> yeah, those flights were like you've done something for a long time. But then there's still like... 12 hours. Yeah, you like you watch you watch like two or three movies. Yeah, and you've got like 12 more hours to go. Um and then so I was like, all right, it's like, you know, I get out the switch, I start playing, but like, yeah, playing Breath of the Wild on a switch, like it's gonna die in a couple of hours. Yeah. Yeah, Three hours, I think, usually. Yeah. And so one of the things that is that's definitely true about me, I don't know if it's true of, of everybody, but like if there's a timer on something that I'm doing where like I have to stop doing it. Maybe whether it's like, oh, somebody's going to be coming to like mm-hmm. deliver a package that I have to be home for or I have an appointment that I have to go to or something. Then there's like a one and a half hour period before that thing where it's just really hard for me to get into something. Yeah. That's a classic my mind is, ADHD problem actually is, is knowing that something is coming makes it so that you're perseverating on that fact. You just always got one foot out the door ready to go do that thing. And so like when I was playing Breath of the Wild, I knew that like my Switch battery was going to be dead pretty soon. (laughs) And uh, every problem that I ran into, I kept trying to find like the most immediate, obvious short-term solution to it, you know, um, as like a workaround. Uh, And anytime something was like, I was like, oh man, maybe I need to go all the way back across this place to go find this thing. I'd be like, no, I can't do that. There's no time. (laughs) And so, so I had, I had like a kind of a bad time with it, but it actually Mm. isn't the game that's the problem. It was the context in which I was playing it, you know? And I think the same thing can apply for, you know, a game like Tunic, which is if you settle in, you're like, oh, I got like 20 minutes, you know, before bed, I'll just like pop in and play this game a little bit. 100%. 100%. I think if you're, if you're, especially for starting it, I think games like this where there's some, there's a, there's a hill you're climbing as far as knowledge mastery where you need basically that, that slack that we always talk about. You know, you need, you need basically the slack of being able to just sort of wander around and poke things and yeah. try things out. And until you achieve some level of actual world knowledge and mastery, like up until that point, what's oftentimes fun about the game is the fact that you're finding out stuff. And then almost like what, it's almost like it's two different games, right? Where once you've figured out stuff, now is 
now it's the game, right? It's the explore exploit it really uh, is. paradigm. Yeah. And yeah, it's definitely a mood thing. Cause yeah, if you're if you're not in the place, if you just need like a quick hit, I mean play some play some fucking match three game or something. You know what I mean? Like you don't need yeah, or, or yeah. some <laughs> back for blood, you know. Yeah. yeah Actually, that's, just, been, that's been true for me now for quite some time is that the just the idea of like the work, the mental work going into it, like mm-hmm. a game that is more than just shooting zombies, you know, is so like there's such a barrier there for me now that if it's not just jumping into shooting zombies or something, then I'm just like, oh, oh, it sounds like yeah, so much well, work. That's, but that's where I think a game needs to have a, a nice balance because, you know, yeah. like I, I've been playing uh, Back for Blood with you guys for a while now, but just like once a week for like a couple of hours, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And But it wasn't even until last week, so maybe like the seventh time that I played yep. it or something, that I was like, let me check out this deck building thing, right? Um, yeah, which, like, like, which oh, dramatically man, changes the gameplay experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah like I was having, a, I was having a good time, but but yeah, but you to didn't have cu- to customize more stuff. Yeah. yeah, well, that's exactly it. It's that it's that if a game requires you to do work, but work that you're not really enjoying, mm-hmm. um, then that, that's where I think the problem is. It's it's the the investment in sort of uh, the your knowledge of the game yeah. should come alongside you already having a good time. Yeah, well, it's also about that, layers of accessibility, right? It's like, it's like or accessibility, meaning like the kind of experience that a person is looking for. Right. 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 Uh, it was like layers of engagement, I think. Layers of engagement. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Where, where you can kind of meet it at, at multiple depths and, and breadths um, mm-hmm. and get a different, but still good experience. So that's a, it's a hard yeah. thing to pull off in a game. Boy, I think it's, it's it really challenging though, is that is that basically the player is learning how to think about and like how to model what the game is asking of them in the context of how they're engaging with it. And so the challenge to me is that as you as you make things more explicit, like sort of across across the way, like there's less to discover, but there's more to do just automatically, uh, just to like easily engage with. You're also in many ways communicating that that's how the game is communi- going to communicate how it works to you, right? And so it's almost like, because mm-hmm. yeah. if, if players, for example, uh, like I know my experience, like I didn't read any of the tooltips in Elden Ring to start with, aside from just like how much damage does this thing do? Like, because it did seem like, why would there be information in there? You know what I mean? Sort of mm-hmm. thing. Um, <laughs> and uh-huh. then, it, but it, so the problem was like, I didn't, it's like there's there was no hint necessary. Like no one said like, there's no quest giver. There was no person who was like, oh, these items, you know, sometimes carry useful descriptions in a way that would have been, there's no hint, right? About, well, the thing that, the thing that you didn't read was the hint. Yeah, right? exactly. Like the, right, hint, right. the hint was there and you're just like, I'm not going <laughs> to yeah. engage with But I think this. what is right, which are players, you don't, you're not going to engage with something unless there's actually a reason to, right? Um, and I, I do think one of the best things on like the sort of the, adding a layer in here is, is lacing uh, either knowledge or secrets or hints or whatever else inside of text that otherwise people would just skip over, right? Uh, the challenge is that, again, if you never point out that that's a thing that could happen, it's very easy for someone to never see it and never actually people get stuck that. and they don't they don't know why yeah. right because they didn't read the thing that led to them getting stuck and so yeah they, yeah well and this is always it's the it's the knowledge problem and it's something that I kind of felt when I was going through my you know my breath of the wild sort of like work around marathon mm-hmm. was that there were a bunch of scenarios where where something I would come across something that that could have that could have been interesting. But there were a bunch of known and unknown consequences that made me not want to engage with it. Mm. Um, where like, like I didn't know the map very well, so if I died and had to like start over somewhere, I wouldn't know how to get back to where I was. Yep. Uh, and also, 
my weapons kept breaking mm-hmm. like really fast all the time. And so I just didn't want to fight things because like I'd only have like one weapon that I kind of had a sense of like, okay, this is a good weapon. I kind of know how to use it, but I don't want to use it because it's going to break after I hit something three times. And then I've got to swap weapons mid combat. And like, where do I get another one of these yep. things? I don't, yeah. you know. Yeah, because the, so the weapons so, are ammo, you know, like you go, yeah. yeah. Fine and, then, uh, and then on top of that, you know, if I'd see something in the distance, I want to go check it out. I did that a couple of different times, but then in each scenario, there turned out to be some kind of impassable thing that just killed me. Like, oh, I start climbing this cliff, but I'd freezing right, to death yeah, or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like, okay, so the game is just literally keeping me from going there. And I don't know what I have to do to, to get there. And now that I've gone all this way, um, my next move is to just walk back across the entire world, yeah. right? Yeah. Which <laughs> which also sucked. And so what kept happening was I see something interesting I'd want to engage with. And then the game would just like slap my hand away from it, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, uh, and I didn't really have any obvious um, recourse. And since I was kind of also in this sort of, you know, time constrained, weird yeah, mental like space, then I, ju- yeah, I was just like, it was just like frustration after frustration. Um, and I couldn't really get a toehold I- into yeah. it, you know? And so uh, on the one hand, like I can really appreciate um, how once you, if you, once you do start learning those things and get engaged with it, there's that feeling of like, oh yeah, this is awesome. I figured it out. You, you start know? learning how to read, right? It's like reading the map being like, okay, yeah, I could go over there, but there's snow on that. And I like, I know it's going to be chilly and I'm going to die. So like, later, yeah. you mm-hmm. know, it's like, yeah, yeah, you start getting that, that ability to, to have some literacy as far as how the design of the game is. But I do think there's, there's a big struggle with, with provide, like you said, actually, I don't think it's a problem that the game was slapping your hand away so much as that you had no recourse. Like you, like you said, you, had no, the, you didn't know what you're supposed loop. to be doing. Yeah. It was, it was costly yeah. to get your hand slapped and then. And you still you didn't, didn't know, know what to do after. And then you didn't know what <laughs> yeah. to do. All, all I know is, all I know is I can't do that. So I went, I went from going, I went from being like, what is that? To I'm not allowed to go there. Right. Like, and both, in both cases, there's nothing I can do. Right. Saying, but not with a uh, Other than just. Yeah, other than just go back to what I was doing, which was wandering around trying to figure out what to do. Well, and that's Um, why having those layers of of engagement systems is so good because if you can fall back to something, right? That you already know about it's, and this is why this is why simple things like the just the existence of a existence of a fishing mechanic, for example, in like any game, basically, because like in a pinch, if you're just like oh, you're frustrated about something, you're like stuck, you're not sure what to do, and oh, there's a fishing hole right there. It's like okay, Mm -hmm. that's the thing you can do. You know how to do it. You can just like go do that thing. You can accomplish something. You know, uh, and you can have a little fun while your brain is kind of like settling and chewing on the problem. You know, yeah, like it's almost like I, I think what it is like people think people uh, players quit your game like as a whole, but really what they're doing is they're they're quitting some particular activity. And it's almost like yeah, you talk about which how, causes them to quit the whole game, right? But yeah, it's, they're yeah, actually so quitting a moment. They're quitting a moment. And so if you have options, right? If you just have some other options, because people would actually typically rather continue being in the space, right? If they're playing your game, they want to keep playing your game. It's just that, you know, you're running into a moment that you can't handle. And if that moment is the whole game, that's the only thing there is. If it's just combat or whatever else, uh, that's where people quit. But if they could say like, okay, well, you know, that didn't work, but I'm just going to go do this. Like, I feel like I can go make some progress with fishing or you know, whatever the fuck. Then you have, a, yeah. you're, you nicely are constraining the choices of the player once they get into the game. It's sort of like the difference between uh, saying, what am I going to do tonight? Versus if you're, if you like already open Netflix or something, now you're just saying, what Netflix show am I going to watch tonight? Or if you start watching a Netflix show and it's bad, if you back out, you're like, I'm going to watch a different one on Netflix still, right? Sort of that oh, yeah. keep, well, keeping this- you in the ecosystem. Yeah. To, to me, this also, this model is what, is what makes MMOs work. Yes. And, and also what makes some MMOs fail because like we talked quite a while back about Wildstar. Yeah. 
Um, so and wild, so cool. wild star, uh, was, is like, was a beautiful game, amazing art, really cool sort mm-hmm. of like world building and aesthetic and stuff. Um, and it had all the makings of, you know, a great longstanding MMO. And then it just fucking died. Like, <laughs> like people, people swarmed to it and the servers were just absolutely crushed because so many people wanted to play this game and it just churned people out, uh, so fast because the developers didn't give chilled, uh, quiet activities to fall back on. They didn't have these engagement. Uh, Everything. Yeah. And like they had, they had player housing, which was a thing where you could kind of like build your house, but, but that only goes so far because like once you've built the house, like it's just there now and that's it. Mm -hmm. But it was, it was the idea of, of if you wanted to make progress in the game, then you had to do it by engaging with these high intensity, high skill over the top kinds of things. And if you're, if the idea of an MMO is it's a hobby game that you play for 30 hours a week while just chilling with your friends, um, you can't be in overdrive, hyperactive, intense combat mode that whole time. It's just, you can't do it. Right. Um, I still remember. Yeah. I remember stuff like you'd see a little butterfly and you'd go and be like, Ooh, and it would be glowing and you'd like interact with it. And then some manly voice would come in and go challenge begins. And then there would a be a little pops a up. timer and it's like, collect 20 butterflies. <laughs> You're like, what the fuck? And then it like shows like the different tiers of rewards that you can get for collecting butterflies yeah. the fastest. You know, like there was just nothing in the game that would just let you chill out for a second. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's just too much. Uh, and so, whereas, whereas, uh, you know, a game like World of Warcraft, which has now been around for, I think going on 18 years at, by the end of, wow. uh, by like November. Um, yeah, there is, there is chill dot fishing and all fishing is, is like, you just walk up to any water anywhere and you just click your fishing button and it's like, bloop, and the bobber comes in and there's just a little, like, there's just like a little timer there. And like, you just watch the bobber and then it kind of splashes a little bit and you just right click and it's like, here's the fish you got, you know, and, then just and you could just do it again. And you just keep doing that as much as you want. Um, you can go sell your fish on the auction house or whatever, or just like dump them in your guild bank. But you know, to do. you can do that. Yeah. You can do that while chatting with your friends on voice chat, you know, and it's just very chill. Yeah. And having those, to do, you know? ha- yeah. Having mm-hmm. those layers of fallback that are, that are low risk, um, and more relaxed means that, that people can play your game regardless of what mental state they're in. Yes. Right. They're, yeah. they're looking for a can challenge and you can get it. If they're looking to chill out, they can do that. If they don't want to do anything at all and just like stand there and just like be in a Look cool at place. pretty landscapes, you know. That'll, yeah, but yeah. while just like talking with their friends, you can do yeah. that too. You know? Yeah, back when I, I played uh, Guild Wars for a bit um, with my wife and one of the most fun things to do was just like, because they because like one of the things you can do is like collect vistas, like just literally oh, yeah. views, you know, views. where they'd just be, they would put it on the map. They'd be like, oh, there's a, there's a vista over here. And it's like something There's a great view over here. Yeah, that's like, sometimes <laughs> it's hard to get to, sometimes it's not, right? But either way, there's just like, you get to that point and then you just like, you know, hit your use button or whatever. And then you just like, it's just like the camera takes over and just like surveys the land. And it's just like this cool, beautiful, interesting scene, you know? And like, it's, it's an interesting th- choice to make, right? Because like, it doesn't do any, like it doesn't, doesn't progress do your character. It doesn't do anything. Right? Although I do think they probably yeah. give you, like if you collect them all, you probably, there's sure probably some achievements for like seeing yeah, all the always is. Yeah. In a, but yeah. it's a non-functional kind of a, in terms of like what we often think for gameplay. Right? It doesn't progress your, your character's power or yeah. like give you loot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But it gives you a deeper uh, sense of like the world. And you get to appreciate all the cool stuff the artists have been doing, you know, for, for this stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but it's, it's, it's just like a calm, peaceful moment that often takes place. Like in the, after you've like 
cleared some area and like done a bunch of hard combat, right? Then all of a sudden there's just this like peaceful view. And actually back for blood. Just is take an a just take a beat. Yeah, yeah, it is an interesting has an interesting design choice where it's broken up into acts, but each act itself is broken up into like a group a few groups of levels. And after you complete one of those groups or an act, it kicks you back into the to the lobby, right? Mm. Resets everything. You start from scratch on the next like like so you don't just play the whole you can't play the whole thing through in one go, right? You play yeah. it in little chapters and the chapters are more than one level. So it's like, it kind of encourages you to keep going. Right. But it's, right. it's like, there's a lot of like two to four levels, right. In between yeah. each level, there's like a, there's a break where there's no timer going where you can just like shoot the shit. You can, they have you, they give you loot to buy. Right. So you're spending time like making decisions, talking about stuff, yeah. making, but, plans, in, a, but in a risk-free and in a risk-free way. You're, and, not, you're uh, not being eaten by zombies. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then when you go, now when you're in between, you get kicked back out to the lobby. Um, then there now all of a sudden, like, now you can go interact with all the other game systems, but again, in a low stress, casual, as casual as you wanted, right? Cause you can go look through your card, build your card decks, go unlock things, go look at the skins that you've unlocked for your characters, you know, all that stuff. And you so some pacing opportunities, you know, Let yeah. People self-select. Right. I think about that in contrast to like left for dead, which I used to play a ton of, right. Mm-hmm. Where there you're either murdering zombies and you're in the middle of it or the game isn't going. You're, Those you're, just states, out, you're just right? on the main menu waiting to go <laughs> yeah. to the next and so game. Yeah. In terms of like, because usually what we would do when we play Left 4 Dead is we play like, and like, and like one round is like 45 minutes basically or something like right. that, right? Uh, yeah. And like, it's structurally really similar otherwise, but like you get to the end of it and now it's like, oh, we're, we're done, done. Like we finished that, right? There's not a lobby you go back. You know, like it's, that's the only experience you have. And, I, and I, the comparison is kind of interesting because like Left 4 Dead, usually what I'd play, I'd play like a level yep. and then be like, Okay, cool. And then like it's oh, it's over because the chunk is so big. You can't. The chunk is big, and it doesn't fall back into any other chill space, right? But with Back Mm -hmm. for Blood, I have to actually make myself go to bed when we're having like a play session. It'd be like, oh fuck, it's getting late, right? It's because you will shoot the shit between between runs, you know. Yeah, Um, it doesn't have the same sense of like it's over now, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, having that kind of modulated. Yeah, so that's kind of what kicked me out of in, in uh, Breath of the Wild was that that early stage. I didn't know what my fallbacks were and everything was kind of hard and stressful <laughs> and I was on a time crunch. Yeah, but I mean, that's something I'm looking forward to in Crashlands too is, is go, going, yeah, going back to, you know, working on a, on a game that um, has those multiple layers of ways to, to engage with stuff. Uh, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Yeah, let's get in there. Uh, so we, we recorded uh, last week's episode um, as the game changer was sort of starting to get close to coming online, mm-hmm. right? Uh, by online, I literally mean online, like web, like with web syncing features. <laughs> so, uh, so we we've, we've been using it now, and so I want to talk a little bit about about that. Just step back. Uh, and so say first, what it is probably too. Yeah, yeah. first we'll do a little bit of recap of like what even is this thing. Um, so we were working on Crash Ends two for. Uh, eight months, I guess, I guess, yeah, eight or 10 months or something. And, and we noticed that we would kind of, we'd be adding content in these, in these sort of bursts. And then it's like, okay, now we have to stop adding content and work on game systems, work on game systems. Okay. Now we need content for the game system, add some content. Okay. Now we have to stop adding content back to the game system. And we kind of had this back and forth. And, and um, also the iteration on design happened in big batches, right? So like yes. a bunch of content would go in, a bunch of our systems would come in, then a bunch of content would come in. And then Sam would be doing lots of play testing while adding content in with these new systems and then come back with, here's like, here's like a 30 things across the five systems, yep. right? That we maybe we could tweak this, but it's like 
tweaking that many things at once, you know, who cool. knows, right? But yeah. it's a matter of then like handing that off to Seth and be like, all right, let's tweak all of this. And then the next, and it's the just next like, balance well, do you pass want, has to look the same, you know? Yeah. yeah. Do you want more features or do you want me to tweak this shit right yeah. now? Because I can only do yeah. one thing at a time. And if we tweak yeah. all these things at the same time, like how will you know even if we got what you wanted because they'll interact with each other in, in complex, unexpected ways? Yeah. And so ultimately, we always kind of had this um, mantra of like, Seth is the bottleneck. So we have to make sure we prioritize Seth's time really well. Mm -hmm. uh, because if somebody wanted to add something to the game, it had to go through the code of the game. If somebody wanted to have some modifications to game balance or how certain things are arranged or whatever, they had to come talk to me about it and I would change it in the code. Everything was in the code. And so, um, so this meant that we were just continuously having to choose between uh, working on balance, working on new features, working on content pushes, working on polish, and any one of those things could only happen one at a time, sequentially. Always an opportunity um, cost problem. Yeah. And this is non-scalable because, of course, if we add more people making who, who can make content for the game, um, we can't get that content into the game any faster, right? And so we kind of, over the, like, starting in the summer last year, we started those conversations of, you know, how do we make this stop being a problem? Um the obvious first solution that anybody would go to is add more game programmers, mm -hmm. right? Like if if everything has to go through a game programmer to go into the game, then you just need more game programmers, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the problem there is there's we also recognize that there were a lot of invisible costs, which is that which is the cost of people having to wait for stuff to happen, and there was a, just a high switching cost all the time. So let's say Sam made some new art assets. Right. And he's like, I want to get these into the game. Uh, he would have to come talk to me about it. And then I may be in the middle of some big game system update or something. So he would have to wait until I was done with that. Well, the same thing would be true if we had another game programmer, because they would be in the middle of some stuff. And then Sam would have to wait to get his stuff into the game. Um, it's just that he would he would now have to talk to more people and prioritize more things to figure out who could get his stuff put into the game first. Um, and everything we did yeah, would maybe on the whole end up waiting less, but it, in the context of a lot more complexity, right? Yeah. yeah. Everything is more complex, right? So, so we always try to bias toward the idea of adding more people to a problem doesn't usually solve the problem. It just changes the problem to be more of a people problem yeah. <laughs> um, than it already was. With more communication. Which is, yeah. Which is like most problems are just already a people problem, really, you know? Um, yeah. So, it's, or it's how a person is meeting a problem, you know? And so if you just yeah. add another person to that, it's just- You just got more problems. You just got more people problems. Uh, yeah. So we said, all right, what would it look like if if game programming was not the bottleneck yeah. for just about anything? Um, and that's where we landed on this idea of putting together some kind of a self-service tool that would allow um, our developers uh, or anybody adding content to the game- to open up this tool from inside the game itself and add content and work on content in the game, in the game. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, it was kind of a long shot in terms of thinking about like what this thing even is. And we had a lot of back and forth about, about MVPs of this. And, you know, should, should we in the short term, try to try to do this in a way where, you know, we can like, add stuff to the game using VS code and some kind of like web mm -hmm. site, you know, or whatever. 
And it all kind of came back to this idea that if we're going to do it, we've got to, like the MVP is very high actually in terms of like what this thing has to, has to be able to do to make it worth it. Um, because if we make an MVP that's too, that's too janky, it's too M then, yeah, not then we, then, yeah. yeah. Uh, then we will, what we'll be doing is we'll be fighting against it the whole time and then still using it to add content to the game while also trying to develop it. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's too many things shifting underneath us at the same time. And so we're like, all right, let's, let's really imagine what we want this thing to be. And we will, you know, pull the and done cord and just stop production. So no more content, no more game systems um, until we get this thing up and running. So I think the last actual like week of work on the game and then play test was October 8th. Yep. Yeah. Um, so yeah, like, because we, we're always telling people to think about DevOps and like do your stuff, but I think, you know, you can, you can talk, talk, but if you can't shut down your own studio for six months to build something, fun, <laughs> then get yeah, it's, and it's a struggle, right? Cause like, cause that was hard, we've, yeah. Yeah, we've uh, and we talked about this a lot in recent episodes too, right? But but we've always struggled with walking walking that walk, right? Of saying that well, it is, it's the long term. It's yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's like still confronting the reality that you're in and like all of the internalized ideas about how things are supposed to work and so on, right? And like really yeah. actually dismantling that to make these kinds of decisions is very very hard. Yeah, and then and then you know a lot of those conversations too were like. You know, like we talked about, I think last week, this idea of, you know, feed the beast problem. Like you've got people on the team also who aren't Mm -hmm. working on this big tech overhaul. And as far as they're concerned, they're like, what am I supposed to do here? Just like sit on my hands? And it's like, I mean, ideally, yeah, just like get, just stop, (laughs) just stop cramming things into the pipeline. Go, like, I don't care what you do. Just Mm -hmm. don't, don't pause the, the Mm -hmm. production process of getting this new tool up and running. So you figure out your own thing, do whatever that is, uh, and try not to throw wrenches into the gears. Right. Um, and that's a hard thing to do, right? Like it's all, it's all really hard. And so, uh, we, so we got the thing up and running on, uh, like end of day Thursday last week in terms of it's actually syncing with the web. And we're recording this um, on a Thursday. So it was just literally a week ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we, we started actually using it, um, uh, on Friday last week in terms of like first thing in the morning, people can start to, you know, use this thing and, and push changes in, um, right now it's just constrained to Sam and myself. And then we're working on some additional permissions and security layers so that we can start to, you know, expand it a little bit more. Um, but the amount of shit that, <laughs> that has gotten added to the game and, and that has happened mm. in the past week is actually a problem. Yeah. Like, like the game is now advancing and changing so fast that uh, we have a whole new set of problems. It's, the biggest one is our our QA team went from being like, what the fuck do I do? Yeah. To now, oh my God, what do I do? <laughs> because there are so many things changing so fast that it's now kind of hard for them to discern what the salient testing uh, points are. Which is are. already really hard. I don't know if we've gotten, and this probably isn't the time to get into it, but a future episode would be good to talk about QA and like deciding what needs to be tested and deciding how to what test an issue what is to test and, and how to help the right people. Like that's a, yeah. That itself so that's is a whole already other a really hard problem. Yeah. And that's just not um, blowing up. Yeah. But I, I will say that, I mean, I, I would say in this past week, even though a lot of the work that we've done in the past week has just been figuring out how to use the game changer, having design discussions, um, working, on, working on bug fixes <laughs> and, and resolving some crashes that we missed and stuff. Um, even, even with all that mixed in, we've gotten, I would say, probably 
eight to ten weeks worth of stuff. Yeah, I guess six uh, at a minimum, probably. Um, yeah, of previous yeah, time, pre game changer weeks of yeah, yeah, uh, just this week, right? And and <laughs> I mean, it's it's been it's been pretty incredible to see because there are so many times where like I just I boot up the game. And uh, I go and like go to do a thing, and suddenly there's something there that <laughs> I've never seen before, <laughs> right? Like it's just it's just in yeah, there. Well, yeah, I'm just I mean, doing stuff, and, and, I, and I'm not even uh, like I'm not even like actively looking at it. So I don't, I don't even I'm not even seeing the pace of change. But I'm going to hear everybody talk about the experience with it, you know. And I was talking to Jen yesterday, who's been working with Sam on the the narrative elements of the whole thing and a lot of the design mm-hmm. stuff, right? And she was telling me about this concept they're working on in Crashlands too, which I'm not going to get into, but there's like a spookiness vibe related to it. And so they were like designing it, trying to figure out how it's going to look and, and then describe basically the process of like Sam building out the art assets and, the, and then put, and then put them in the map and then they could go experience it to go find out, like, walk around. is yeah. this doing what we, you know, and what else would be needed here, right. To like really give the effect that we're going for. And that then, and like, she was already talking about how like amazing it felt to like run across the map, like into this space just already. Yeah, you know? and, the, and the two of them did that without yeah. me even knowing that it was happening mm-hmm. as the game programmer, right? Yeah, so um, I've added, yeah, I basically added, uh, do you remember how many research nodes we even had last Friday? Uh, I don't know. I think we had I'm Trisha sure. in the upper 20s or something. Yeah, there's more than 50 yeah. now. So like the like in research nodes, it's sort of like that, you're predictable, like how do I improve kind of track in the game? So um, you double the amount of content. things to unlock other things kind of a... yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's basically double the amount of content there, added an entire new uh, terrain set, which fully integrated terrain set, which previously would have taken me multiple days to iterate on, probably four days to make, uh, and then Seth another like day to put together because it's a bunch of fiddly nonsense. Um, also got a bunch of environmental storytelling assets in there, so some really cool stuff. Uh, like implemented all the resources and things that I had built like back in, I don't know, October, November, December, something like that. Um, at like a base level and then also did like two or three different balance passes on the game as we were updating stuff, uh, added chests, all sorts of just an insane amount of stuff. And granted, like, yeah, there's an art pile sitting there, but you know, as far as like some ammo for me to kind of just throw stuff in, but at the same time, uh, about probably 80% of what I've done was not using the art assets that I'd made previously. (laughs) It was a bunch of new stuff, you know, whether it was new art assets or just design work and all that stuff. Um, it's been... It's been ridiculous. And the thing I'm most excited about is, you know, we always talk about this, the context problem with games, which is that when the, the more systems you add to a game, uh, the more likely it is as you make a change in one of them that you essentially have to rebalance the whole thing, the whole game, because of that change in one seemingly isolated system. And one of the things we talked about when we were getting ready to make, to set off on this journey to make the game changer was like, okay, you know, if this game is the system as rich as we want to be and has this much content, how do we make it cheap? To, to allow those changes to propagate, like to make it yeah. so that- you need You need iteration in a complex, highly networked system to be cheap, right? Which is a yeah. very hard problem. Not a, yeah, not an easy problem at all. Um, and we have it right now, at least in terms of like, of course it could, yeah, you could always make it cheaper if we have some other stuff probably, but like the just the degree versus where it was before, I don't even, I'm not sure there's a map that you could fit that spike. Like it's just- I'm, yeah, yeah, it's bonkers. It's, it's, it's bonkers. Totally bonkers yeah. Uh, yeah, and so I'm very excited now for for what's what's coming in this quarter because we st- I still haven't actually gotten all of the existing game data migrated into the game changer. This is this is all the stuff we've been able to do even without a couple of the core game systems mm-hmm. like fully converted. Um, so very excited about that. Uh, and actually, our our 
highest upvoted question is kind of in this vein, so I want to rope that in. So the highest upvoted question uh, from podcast.bscotch.net comes from Mimabip Gorky, who says, how do you balance your games, both gameplay and progress-wise? Do you play it until it feels right, or do you try to create an algorithm? Uh, So- The smart-ass answer is with difficulty, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) uh, with a lot of iteration. Um, so we basically work in, in both co- contexts, you know, one is algorithmic and the other is sort of manual intervention. Uh, the way we try to do it is we come up with an algorithm that creates a baseline mm-hmm. of, of balance, um, whether that's something like, uh, how much damage do enemies deal to you, you know, per second of combat, uh, per level of enemy. Right. But then, you know, that doesn't get you the whole way there because enemies aren't, you know, necessarily continuously dealing damage to you the entire time. They have different sizes of attacks or different, you know, timings of things. Um, And that by itself may be interesting enough that when paired with the algorithm, that that creates an interesting experience. Or maybe a particular enemy just feels like it should hit harder. So, you know, what we do is we, we use that as the baseline and then we just add these little tuning knobs where we can say, uh, let's just increase this enemy's, you know, damage by 20% over the baseline, yeah. right? So one thing we almost never do is use absolute values for balance. So we don't say like, we don't say like, set this enemy's health to 200. No, we never, we never do that. Instead we say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead we just say like, increase this enemy's health by 20%. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it's always relative, like balance is always relative to yeah. some baseline. So yes, we establish you be able to cascade changes and in, in like overarching. And it's the trick, right? Is that, is, is that you need specific yeah. things to be interesting and different somehow, like extra challenging, yes. extra whatever, right? But you need to be able to tweak everything if you make a if you make if you want to make a change in the overall design of how it works or the overall balance, like just how, just how hard is everything and you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so it's finding mechanisms to tie the general behaviors and the general the general numbers really to the specific ones in such a way that you simultaneously get cascades where changing one thing causes changes elsewhere in a way that makes sense, but that also you get unique the ability to make unique uh, changes on top of that. Just very hard. Yeah, I think really yeah. that's that's kind of what I think the the goal is of any any good balance system because the the thing that's interesting about games is is not when they're perfectly balanced. Because that just means that actually, what the largely means typically is that everything is the same. In terms I mean, of perfect balance is, is checkers, not even yeah. chess. Yep. Because there's, you know, there's outliers. Like the queen is an, is an overpowered yeah. class in chess, you know. Um, and pawns, you know, buff, I'm, I've been long on the buff pawns bandwagon. I feel yeah. like pawns are way due for a patch, but, uh, but you know, it's, it's the imbalances in chess between the different pieces that make it a far more popular game yes. than checkers yeah. because checkers is perfectly balanced and therefore pretty boring. Yeah. Pretty boring. <laughs> so I think that's By the, comparison. the thing you're going to want is basically yeah, you create this algorithmic baseline. Uh, and then from there you set up deviations that allow for interesting things, more interesting things to actually happen. Uh, and if you can get that going, then then you're, it's much easier to tune basically. Cause I mean, even just this last week, I, I was like, Oh, I want the whole thing to just be harder 
from like a combat standpoint. I want these. No initial, problem. We got we got knobs for that. Just, just go turn those knobs. Just turn yeah. a knob, and then uh, and I was getting killed two hits, and I was like, exactly what I would like. Thank you. Perfect. <laughs> it can be Ow, really tricky. My though. whole body yeah, with a uh, with a self balancing system, especially another one that we struggle with a lot because because difficulty is one thing when it comes to like combat, right? Because that's mostly about just like balance relative numbers to each other, kind of a deal. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, and they can kind of, they stand in, to a degree of isolation, right, from other things that are going on. Uh, but when it comes to like crafting, which is like that's the really tricky one, where if you want to say like, okay, here's an item you can craft, it's made out of these components, right? What does it mean for it to be hard to craft that, right? Because that's a combination yeah. of how many components are required, and then how how often those components drop from the stuff out in the world, and then for that stuff out in the world, how accessible is it to you? How do you get it? And how much does each one of those things drop? And then how many of those are there, right? Mm-hmm. That's the collection of, of things. And so, and that's all tied to the world map, right? Because yeah. you're going to make aesthetic choices about like, here's what the world looks like. So here's all this, like take all these cool resources, which, you know, in a crafting game are the trees and the plants and the creatures, right? Mm-hmm. So you're going to put those out in the world in a way that is interesting because it looks cool and it tells a story, right? Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden, because you put 10 more of this tree here, you've made so that easier to get wood. Yep. Yeah, it's something easier to get. Well, it's not anything that uses wood. Now is just like easier already, right? Mm-hmm. But so if you fix that by coupling frequency of things out in the world to like that, which is already really hard because people don't experience the world randomly. But they did in original Crashlands, which is why this like worked really easily. But in the new Crashlands, it's a hand-built map. You know, like everything's going to be mm-hmm. in certain places. So like what is it? Even if Sam goes out and he puts a hundred, you know, trees mm-hmm. in one spot, if the player doesn't know that spot is there and there aren't any trees elsewhere. That's the same as them having zero trees, right? So mm-hmm. yep. it's a really, really challenging problem. Um, and especially yeah. when you want to do interesting, because as soon as you auto-balance that so that, oh, you add more trees, so now the resource costs go higher, right? For like, that way it yeah. just stays balanced, right? Now you don't have the ability to have bonuses, right? Yeah, like, now you can have I found, like a whole, yeah. I found a secret forest, but it doesn't matter because it's already yeah. taken into account as far as how the total amount of loot I need to build a fucking house. Yeah. Right? So really, you were being punished for having not found that forest. Yeah. What's happening. Yeah. And now that you found it, you're, you've brought, you've made yourself whole. Yep. But yeah, so this yeah. is something that we, that we were able to, uh, just as a, as a kind of a goofy example this week, mm-hmm. uh, we were able to use the game changer to kind <laughs> of add some more of these layers of, of manual overrides, right? Which is, um, Sam was working on some research nodes that made it so like once you research that thing, then you were able to get more loot out of a certain thing in the world. Get more wood out of a tree. We'll call it that. But yeah, yeah. Um, so the problem is like once he added that, then suddenly every recipe was like, okay, I'm going to need more wood now because mm-hmm. the yep. trees drop more wood, right? And what we don't know is when Sam added that recipe – are we considering that res or that that, that res- uh, research node? Are we considering that research node as mandatory? Meaning, like, <laughs> yeah. like this is something that you have to research to, to the baseline experience. Yeah, therefore, it makes sense that everything is more expensive in the absence of having researched mm-hmm. it. Yeah, or is this a bonus? Yeah, right? now you want it to be and feel easier instead of possible. Yeah. When it was, yeah, and so, uh, so Sam like talking about this, and he's like, Yeah, I kind of want like to have a a checkbox or something on here so that if I'm adding loot drops that that are unlocked by research nodes, that I want want those to be ignored. 
Yeah. I was like, I, it, was the, the funny thing was like, I plugged it in and I was like, oh, cool. Like now if I chop down a tree, so I get more wood, like it'd be awesome. And then I was tracking a recipe that happened to use the wood. And I saw that the number yeah. went up a lot because it, <laughs> it basically was calculating now that there's so much extra wood. And I was like, wait, I just did the opposite of what I wanted to do. I wanted to make the game yep. easier after you've done this. Instead of but now it's only now it's instead. only harder before you've done yeah. it. Yeah, which again, like it's there's an interesting note there. It's the same. It's kind of the same thing. The problem is it's a it's a you have you don't have an ability to say like okay here's the speed I want the game to go at now, now let me give you tools to increase that if you want to uh, make it change doesn't let keeps, you unbalance it right yes which is right. Like, as you said that's what makes it interesting is when yeah. is when things aren't just beautifully tuned and working in harmony yes. and exactly as you know yeah. Uh, and we'll have to do the same thing to the world map too, presumably, which is to be able to fence off areas and say, don't, don't include count. these when you're when you're counting this resource uh, mm-hmm. towards auto-balancing based on resource frequency, right? Yep. Uh, or only yeah. include the space or whatever. Um, yeah. But the fact that, you know, with the game changer, you know, we're able to identify that and just say, hey, you know, I really want to be able to treat this research node as a bonus um, and not have it, you know, inflate the cost of everything in the game just because it exists. Um, and then we can just go, oh yeah, no problem. And you just add a checkbox to yeah. the game changer. And Took then, 10 minutes uh, to do. And then I didn't even have to pull. I'm pretty sure. It yeah. Be. Yeah. Cause it's just in there now. A yeah. checkbox just showed up and then I just checked the ones <laughs> I wanted to turn into yeah. exceptions basically. Then it was done. It's like a 20 minute situation as opposed to like, oh, Seth's got to go find everything and freaking type in a bunch of exception. Not yeah, because so yeah, because the game changer is you know it's, it's syncing and handling its own data. We also this hilarious moment where at one point Sam was was like working on something that had a number in it, and he's like, "Man, I really wish this number was a slider because it's annoying to have to like click into it and type the number that I want. I just want a slider." And I was like, "Sure." And then uh, a few minutes later, I was like, uh, "You can just go ahead and check that again." And and he didn't even close his game client. Mm-hmm. He just he just went back to the game changer. Uh, in, inside the game client while it was still running, and that thing was a slider now. <laughs> yeah, I was just like <laughs> because it was because it auto syncs. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, far beyond the point of being able to comprehend what the fuck is happening, but I like it. You know? <laughs> I'm here for it. Like I want that to be a slider. All right, it's a slider now. You, you don't have to do <laughs> yeah. anything else. It just it just is one. It just is. Um, yeah. So uh, very exciting. Uh, I'm pretty pumped about this thing. Uh, I'm sure we'll have some interesting lessons that come in the, in the following weeks about what it means to be working, you know, on a game with a, speed. with a, yeah, with a tool that gets us much closer to the speed of iteration. We would like to, you know, we would like to be at. Um, so anyways, I think that's all the time we have yeah. for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our discord running. Get more involved in the Butterscotch community, go to podcast.bscotch.net where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.